Good afternoon, everyone. I want to welcome you to The Natural Lawyer. I'm Monty Ray, uh, The Natural Lawyer. And uh, I'm an advocate for natural law, natural medicine, and natural money. Um, there's a, a downside to calling oneself The Natural Lawyer. Uh, it does not refer to my uh, superior ability as a lawyer, although I am no slouch. I've practiced law since the middle to late Jurassic era. And uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, uh, there is a downside. My wife refers to me as Nature Boy, and my best friend calls me Mr. Natural. But that's okay. I'm an ad advocate for natural law, natural medicine, and natural money. Nature it's usually best because it's in accordance with nature's design and that design is usually what supports and enriches uh, life the most. Let me tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm Montfort S. Ray, M-O-N-T-F-O-R-T. Uh, my nickname is Monty. I go by Monty Ray, M-O-N-T-E, Ray, R-A-Y. Monterey, Mexico, Monterey, Lincoln, Monterey, California, Monte Ray. And uh, I'm talking to you from my uh, studio near Savannah, Georgia. Uh, let me tell you just a, a little bit about my background. Uh, I'm a, a lawyer and an historian. I received my uh, undergraduate degree in American history from Princeton University in 1966 and my law degree from Emory University Law School in 1969 and uh, um, I've um, I, I largely enjoyed the practice of law but it, it has s some real limitations. Um, I became disillusioned about um, the our legal system uh, as I continued to practice and um, the reason for that is that American law is largely an illusion it's an illusion it's not real it's like one of the floating mountains in the movie Avatar many of you have seen that movie uh, the legal system that we have is is rootless it's detached from its base. It, it doesn't have um, a, a large, a great degree of foundation in our fundamental laws. Now, over the past 200 years, um, our legal system has developed into uh, a counterfeit legal system parallel to the real one. I call it the, the legal matrix. Uh, the Matrix, as you remember, was a um, science fiction movie in which a, uh, uh, there was a false reality generated for the people. The world wasn't real, but as long as the people believed it was, it was there was no need to, to physically coerce them. So our real system, real legal system, is like a, a Rembrandt masterpiece that's been painted over um, and uh, my job is to be a legal archaeologist I search for law buried beneath 
239 years of, of incompetence and, and deception. And uh, I'd like to share with you the, the, uh, uh, the treasure that I discovered, the master plan for liberty and prosperity given to us by our founding fathers, which is that, that real legal system. I'm holding in my hand uh, an acorn. And uh, within this tiny little seed is contained an entire oak tree. If you listen very carefully, you can hear the squirrels running up and down the branches and the blue jays in their brash uh, calls to each other. And just as a, a great oak tree will emerge from a tiny acorn, America's entire political and legal system, that is the real one, springs from a single paragraph in the Declaration of Independence. And I'm going to read you these 78 words that Thomas Jefferson penned. And these 70 words, 78 words contain America's entire legal system. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So. The essence of our legal system is that we have God-given rights and the only purpose of government is to protect these rights. This was a, a revolutionary step in the, in the evolution, the social evolution of mankind. There never was a time when um, the individual was the foundation and purpose of, uh, of the legal system. And notice that these rights are possessed by the individual and not the people generally, not by the society. The society, a society is not real. The only thing real is, are, are the individuals within the society. It's kind of like a forest. A forest is a fiction. Uh, the only thing that's real is the individual trees. Now, most Political systems these days emphasize the collective, that is, the society. And uh, Hitler famously proclaimed that society's needs come before the individual's needs. And Hillary Clinton agreed when she said that we must stop thinking about what is best for the individual and start thinking about what is best for society. Now, as time went by, our sovereign status uh, became eroded. Uh, the easiest way to um, establish tyranny is to convince someone that they are not what they really are. And uh, I'm indebted to my friend Roger Sales for a lot of this material here, and, and uh, it coincides with uh, my own research. And uh, the essence is that that your new legal status is that of a subject instead of a sovereign. 
And as proof of that, let me offer up to you the the uh, United States passport application. This is available in your post office. I encourage you to go to your post office and ask for a passport application. It will contain the following mind-blowing sentence. U.S. passports, either in book form or card format, are issued only to U.S. citizens or non-citizen nationals. Now, all of us think, well, sure, I'm a U.S. citizen. What the hell else could I be? But who are these non-citizen national guys uh, if there is only one form of citizenship in the United States? There are no regulations which define uh, what a uh, non-citizen national is. And uh, the, the problem stems from a situation in the 19th century where the newly freed slaves were denied um, legal status as, um, um, as Americans. Uh, the Supreme Court in the case of Dred, uh, US B, uh, Dred versus Scott, excuse me, Dred versus Scott, declared that the, sla the newly freed slaves could not sue in their own name because they did not have legitimate status. So a new one was created for them by the government, and that is called the U.S. citizen. This is the way that the our government has foisted all of the alphabet agencies upon us by getting us to agree that we are these U.S. citizens. For example, nowhere in the entire universe, Internal Revenue Code is the private sovereign individual declared to be liable for paying an income tax on his or her wages and salary. Just think about that. There is a regulation which implements the code which declares that declares that liability, but you can't create a tax liability on the basis of a regulation. It has to be on the basis of a statute. Anyway, uh, this is the way that the uh, parallel legal system has been established. It's the basis of it. And uh, this is the way that really that that um, tyranny is 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 usually foisted on the mirror, on the people, the creation of a of a false status. And uh, another characteristic of of uh, our system is that it's extremely centralized. There, the Founding Fathers observed that there's a very high correlation between centralization of power and tyranny, uh, usually leading to totalitarianism. Thomas Jefferson summed this up um, in a very exquisite statement. What has destroyed liberty and the rights of man in every government, government which has ever existed under the sun? The centralizing and concentrating all cares and powers into one body, no matter whether the autocrats 
of Russia or France or the aristocrats of a Venetian Senate. By increasing the power of the federal government over the past 200 years, federalism has been nearly destroyed. Federalism was a system where the federal government was supposed to operate under uh, very limited and expressed powers. And uh, uh, the states were to be the repository of most of the sovereignty in the country. And uh, the opposite has, has occurred. What we have is something like The Blob. Do you remember The Blob? It was a movie in the 1950s. It was Steve McQueen's first movie. It was about, it was a science fiction movie. An asteroid struck the Earth, and cracked open, and out came a uh, thick, gooey, black blob. And it began to consume everything. Uh, uh, finally, it, it threatened the local community. And uh, that's pretty much what the, uh, the nature of government is. It's the nature of government is to grow and to, uh, to take to take more and more uh, power, to take more and more territory. And uh, fortunately, there's, a, there's a, a blessing that's sweeping over the earth in the form of technology. And this technology is bringing about the decentralization of society. The decentralization, that is, the individual is being powered and the central mechanisms by which control has been uh, built, um, these central mechanisms are withering away. Uh, one wonderful example is the, uh, the internet. Um, for the first time, there's tremendous knowledge, information that's available to the individual that was formerly held only at the, the top of the pyramid. Uh, knowledge and information are power. And as that power is being uh, shared with the people, uh, the, the, the centralized structures in society are, are weakening. Now, one uh, example about this of this is uh, uh, the de decentralization of health care. Uh, in the 19th century uh, was the golden age of American health care. Uh, decentralized medicine. Uh, that's all coming back now. Uh, I think it's summed up in the book entitled The Patient Will See You Now. Now, this decentralization by technology has happened before. In the 18th century, we had an agricultural society. And um, technology transformed that uh, society into an industrial society. The combine machines and the planters and um, various technologies destroyed the uh, uh, agricultural society and uh, 
ushered in an industrial society. And this society had its limitations, but uh, there was survival was more assured. It was a, it was a less challenging life. For example, 95% of your time in the 18th century, in Thomas Jefferson's time, was devoted to putting food on your table. Today, only about, oh, less than 2% of uh, our labor is devoted to, to raising food. 2% of the population is able to do that for an entire society. Education system is being decentralized. Our education system is being destroyed. Thank you very much. Because of the internet, there are a lot more online universities now. And the attendance the, uh, at the uh, uh, universities is uh, declining. You've heard of these big boxes like Macy's and Rich's and Sears that are going out of business. Think of the universities as big boxes. The internet is driving them out of business. This is one reason for the politicization of, uh, of the university because they're having difficulty um, filling their dormitories and, and uh, uh, their educational system. They're, they can be had for, by the uh, political powers that be. Uh, politics is another good example. Look how Donald Trump bypassed the, the traditional uh, media and political system and just tweeted his way into the White House. So uh, this decentralization is, uh, is empowering the individual tremendously. And uh, uh, another good example of it would be uh, our monetary system. This is the reason for the rise of, of Bitcoin. There's nothing more centralized and, uh, and undemocratic than our financial system. And uh, Bitcoin is a form of money, a person-to-person -person form of money that doesn't require uh, a bank. It doesn't require any um, uh, third party, doesn't require any centralized structure at all. And this is why it's being opposed so vociferously by the banking system and by our governments. All right, let's, let me talk to you a little bit about uh, natural money. Natural money is money that empowers the individual. During the 19th century, from 1800 to 1900, money appreciated in value, in its purchasing power. What, what cost you $100 in 1800, you could buy for $50 in 1900 because the currency appreciated. Then along comes the Federal Reserve 
and a small group of individuals, bankers primarily, were granted control over the greatest treasure in the history of the world. And that treasure was the right to create the money supply of the United States of America, to create and manage the money supply of the United States of America. Since then, since December of 1913, the dollar has lost 97% of its purchasing power. So those who are on a limited income, fixed income, uh, pensioners, retired people, ordinary working people are the ones who have been tremendously disempowered uh, by a very inequitable uh, money system. Now, the founding fathers had established a monetary system which was totally decentralized. First, of course, came uh, barter. And uh, barter was, of course, totally decentralized. You want a goat? Uh, I've got a sheep. Let's make the swamp. And uh, uh, no need for any third-party individuals, no need for any third-party bank, no need for any FDA or any of that. The Constitution provides that no state shall enter into any treaty, alliance, or confederation, grant letters of mark and reprisal, coin money, emit bills of credit, or make anything but gold and silver coin a tender in payment of debts. And they, they put that in the Constitution because they wanted to create a wall of separation between state and money. Uh, when the, the state gets control of the money supply, then bad things tend to happen. Now, they chose gold and silver because of it, its qualities of of durability, divisibility, portability, and intrinsic value. These are the four uh, absolutes of money that were um, articulated by Aristotle uh, back in the uh, 4th century BC. So Bitcoin is performing the function of restoring a decentralized currency to America. Um, it is a person-to-person -person digital uh, currency and uh, this is the reason for Bitcoin's tremendous popularity throughout the world. It is an asset, it is a currency that uh, is increasing tremendously in value. Uh, since the beginning of 2017, the price of one Bitcoin increased from $500 to $20,000 late in 2017. It's declined a bit since then. And uh, the world governments, the world banking system, are tremendously threatened by this technology. And uh, 
they want to get their hands on it. They want to regulate it. Uh, they're uh, claiming that uh, only um, uh, terrorists and um, uh, bad folks are are, are uh, there's too much potential for for misuse of of such a currency. Well, there's too much potential for the use of of gold too. Terrorists deal in gold. Nobody wants to um, wants to outlaw gold. But I'm just looking at a chart of um, the major uh, cryptocurrencies, and it shows that their meteoric pop popularity they've increased in value tremendously. And uh, so each uh, each show that we have, I'm going to talk about one of the so-called cryptocurrencies, one of the digital assets, and describe how it is decentralizing um, the area of commerce and society that it is intended for. And uh, now also, I'd like to talk about how I became a health lawyer. Let's talk about the uh, natural healing part a little bit. And uh, uh, well, first of all, let's talk a little bit about what is healing. Healing is making someone more alive. Uh, you get sick, you go to the doctor, your energy is low, you're, you're looking more, well, dead. And so the doctor's job is to enliven the individual. And uh, uh, that and that enlivening will enable the individual to throw off uh, disease and make him or her well. Uh, the job of a um, a legislator is to pass legislation which will enliven and prosper society. The proof is in the pudding. Does this particular statute uh, make uh, the individual and the society more free and prosperous. Now, I became a health lawyer by when I met uh, a man by the name of William Harry Moore, Bill Moore. I met him in uh, around 1998. Uh, uh, he's a fellow resident of Savannah, Georgia. And uh, Bill was famous around our neck of the woods for having told a, a judge that everyone was terrified of. Your Honor wouldn't recognize the law if the whole damn law library fell over on your pointed little head. And uh, so that, that endeared him to the local bar. And... Uh, Bill Moore was was a real uh, fighter. He fought during World War II as a medic until some uh, Germans um, started shooting at him, and then he uh, uh, dispatched them. I think there were several of them, and uh, um, uh, decapitated them. Uh, he was decapitating before it was cool, I guess. And France gave him the Croix de Guerre, which is the equivalent of our Congressional Medal of Honor for pulling several French soldiers out of a, a burning tank. 
and uh, whenever he went into a restaurant uh, you know he didn't have to buy a drink for the rest of the war while he was over in Europe he became a doctor at the University of Munich and uh, he came back and became just one hell of a lawyer instead uh, well he, he practiced law for a limited time and uh, became a, a good surgeon but he really wanted to uh, to practice law so he read law under the uh, supervision of a lawyer and and uh, and became a lawyer his specialty was attacking lawyer attacking doctors uh, in medical malpractice cases he tried over 500 cases they were big cases he and Melvin Belli uh, tried the biggest case in the history of Savannah in the early 1970s. Um, a lot of his success was due to the fact that he was bipolar. He would he would work without sleep for for weeks preparing for a case, and uh, it, it took a heavy toll on him. But that's just the way he was. One day he was announced that he was in the business of defending doctors instead of attacking them. And uh, he soon became one of the country's greatest legal champions of alternative medicine. Uh, in the summer of 98, I'd been hired by a naturopath who claimed that he had a cure for cancer. And uh, he did. Um, however, he was hounded by the FDA uh, for using uh, an unapproved medicine and uh, uh, was being investigated by the South Carolina Medical Board for practicing medicine without a license. He was doing that too. Uh, neither agency gave a damn about what uh, about what he was doing or whether he could cure cancer. I was beginning to realize at that time that even if my client could raise to life all of the corpses in a cemetery, uh, the FDA would never approve his cancer cure, and the the medical board would never never leave him alone. I heard about Bill's reputation as a health lawyer, and uh, I wanted to get some advice, get some of his advice on how to handle this case. Um, so I drove to his mansion on Victory Drive. And uh, his beautiful wife, Marjorie, met me at the front door. She is now my beautiful wife. I'll have to tell you that story on a later show. Anyway, uh, after a few pleasantries, I asked Bill uh, about how to approach the uh, FDA in this case. And uh, uh, he sprang to his feet and shouted out, uh, that the best way to handle this case was like any case, and that was to launch a fang-snapping offense that leaves your opponent rocking and rolling in misery. And, you know, my way of practicing law is I, I'll talk to the other side first. Maybe things can be worked out, and you want to be able to, to discuss the case with your adversary. And uh, so I told Bill that that's the way that I did it, and he told me that uh, the way that I practice law 
uh, would be up to me, but he would rather hear a bureaucrat scream than a pretty girl sing. And the bureaucrat would be, I guess, the FDA in this case. And uh, he scolded me and said that the trouble with you younger lawyers these days is that you don't know how to properly insult anybody. I was beginning to understand how Bill Moore had become a uh, kind of the Darth Vader of our profession uh, who drafted lawsuits and the uh, and the accusatory language of the common law and whose briefs often had to be printed on asbestos and uh, anyway I was trying to steer things into calmer waters I said hey Bill how about uh, why the about face from attacking doctors to defending them and uh, I remember these words I'll remember these words to my dying day money it was because I learned about the vis medicatrix naturae and I said come on Bill I'm you know I love Latin as much as the next lawyer but you know uh, uh, what the hell does that mean and he said Monty no doctor or medicine has ever healed anyone of anything it's the life force alone that heals the vis medicatrix naturae the healing power of nature and uh, anyway the the key concept here is the life force the true healers job he said is to remove obstacles to the flow of the life force uh, and then get the hell out of the way he continued to explain that conventional medicine isn't based on the life force in fact uh, modern medicine is the leading cause of death in this country um, and uh, I asked him about you know what about smallpox and polio bill uh, uh, then the plague you know medicine took care of them didn't it and uh, he he said no hell no uh, infectious diseases were already disappearing uh, because of improved hygiene when uh, vaccines came along uh, they never made a a uh, vaccine for bubonic plague and uh, do you know anybody that's got the plague I had to admit that I, I didn't and I uh, said what about the war on cancer boy that really set him off it, there's no war on cancer and uh, conventional cancer therapy is nothing but the purest and sheerest quackery Bill said and uh, at this time Bill was representing um, some of the leading uh, alternative healers who were beating cancer like a, a drum and uh, uh, people like uh, Jim Privatera Stanislaw Brzezinski Dan Clark Harvey Beagleson Nick Gonzalez and a few and uh, it's been a blessing in my life that I've been able to represent uh, a lot of these alternative healers and uh, I moved to share a story with you I, I recently had a health challenge in uh, mid-October 2017 just a few months ago um, I was diagnosed with early stage 
uh, prostate cancer. And uh, I immediately called up one of the clinics uh, that I represented and uh, um, submitted um, myself to, to a, pro a regime of therapy and uh, which consisted of largely of mineral and vitamin infusions. Uh, the reason people get cancer is that uh, is cellular mal malfunction due to poor food delivery, poor oxygen delivery, and uh, uh, failure to remove uh, uh, poisons. So I was providing fuel at a cellular level to my body. Um, in addition, I took this uh, product called C60. I'm convinced that C60 was instrumental in uh, curing me of cancer. And uh, so about oh, six weeks to two months later, um, I was uh, examined again, tested again, and um, I was totally cancer-free. Uh, granted, my cancer was an early-stage cancer, um, but uh, um, I, was, I was delighted to have blown through that disease and cured myself within about a, a, a six-week uh, period. Now, what I want to do in this uh, show is to create a, a worldwide, really, uh, directory of clinics which are excellent at healing cancer. Uh, alternatively, um, I know of a few already. Uh, I also want to create a nationwide directory of health lawyers so that if uh, practitioners, alternative practitioners, the kind that I represented, acupuncturists, chiropractors, osteopaths, uh, integrative MDs, um, even the occasional witch doctor. If he can heal, I'll, I would represent him. But anyway, I, it's more than I can do myself. I'm largely retired. And, uh, you know, if you're out in Idaho, I don't know the eccentricities of, of the law out in Idaho. Or You need somebody local, somebody who's familiar. So I want to put together a nationwide... Uh, directory of health lawyers and a worldwide or certainly in this sector of the world directory of uh, alternative clinics uh, I've been to a few some down in Mexico some are very excellent some are a bunch of quacks um, but uh, uh, together uh, we can we can be able to put something together. Now I'm doing a lot of talking. Um, and, uh, uh, and uh, the natural lawyer is, is going to be an opportunity for me to share information with you, but I want to know what, what you think. Um, uh, I, I want to know what your story is. Um, and, uh, you know, perhaps we can, uh, if you need some Medical input puts you together with somebody who can give it to you. Legal input, maybe we, on our directory, you know, we can help. But um, I'd rather this be a collaboration 
uh, between you and me. And uh, I want you to feel free to call in. I'll provide that number. Hey, I'm just getting started in this business. I've never been a, a radio host before. Uh, and uh, just been a law dog. Um, but let's have some fun. Let's see here. Uh, now, let me get back to Bill Moore for a second. I'll wrap this up for you. You'll like this. Now, there were several alternative physicians uh, in addition to Bill Moore and myself who wanted to establish a, an alternative clinic near Savannah, Georgia. And uh, so I began to work with, uh, with these guys and uh, began to learn more about um, uh, the Beast Medicatrix Naturae, the Life Force, and uh, uh, which was already a, a familiar concept to me. Now, the, the Life Force operating within the law, uh, I call that natural law. And uh, I'll go into that in a minute, but let me finish up with, uh, with Bill Moore. Um, my background is that I'm kind of a, a life bozo. Uh, all of my life I've been trying to find out what life is and how it works and how I fit in the process and how I can use that, that knowledge to improve myself and make, make society better. And, uh, and this, this is important now, what I'm about to tell you. Deep within us, there's a common source of all life. And this is where life is most alive, vital, and powerful. Okay? I'm reminded of, the, uh, uh, of Albert Einstein and his unified field theory. He said there's, a, there's one region of life deep within uh, that is the most powerful area of life. Um, on the way to this region, you know, if you split an atom, you release an incredible amount of energy. It's, 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 an, it's, a, it's a journey of increasing power as you approach uh, the unified field. Um, not only is, it increased, is there increased power and energy within, there's increased love and vitality and creativity and intelligence. It's a region of life that has been described as uh, the kingdom of heaven, nirvana. It's within us. It's, within, it's, it's, uh, it's our, our potential. It's our destiny to contact this area. And it's possible to contact this source on a regular basis. I do it with meditation. Now, are you ready for this? Um, as of this October, I've meditated twice a day for, oh, about 48 years, call it 50, about an hour, hour and a half uh, per day. That's about 30,000 meditations lasting a total of about 23,000 hours. That's over 1,940, 1,094 days, almost three years in meditation. That's a lot of time with your eyes closed, sports fans. So 
I know what I'm talking about here. I've I've walked the walk. And no matter how things how rough things get for me, when I come out of meditation, I feel a lot clearer, happier, more energetic. And uh the existence of of this uh uh life force and this inner resource um i'm reminded of what thomas jefferson said he said the universe is framed on a principle of benevolence and uh that was a very powerful uh statement for me anyway bill taught me how to become a health lawyer and uh my training you know he didn't talk like a normal person he just he would just growl and pound the table and he just wear wear me out every day and uh, after a couple of years as I mentioned we wanted to put together this medical clinic and uh, we arranged for the donation of about 300 acres and uh, uh, then life became very difficult uh, Bill inhaled some toxic fumes from a burning rubber cushion uh, and he died but that was the easy part uh, then the bottom really fell out a few days later my beloved wife Kathy was diagnosed with adv advanced ovarian cancer and I was about to find out how uh, serious cancer can be uh, if you haven't properly dealt with it in an early stage and uh, uh, the following year was the, the challenge of, of my life like they say buckle your seatbelt Dorothy cause Kansas is going bye bye and it did but that was the the story of Bill Moore the, can, the clinic that we were going to Oh, our, our motto, uh, forgive me for, for being halting here, but I, I have to mention that uh, our motto, um, the physicians and, and Bill and, and I and Marjorie, uh, who were working on the clinic, the, our motto was, you say I've got cancer, Doc? What a relief. I thought it might be something serious. And uh, that's the title of a book I'm working on right now. You say I've got cancer, Doc? What a relief. I thought it might be something serious. It's the story of of Bill Moore and uh, the alternative healing community. Uh, and I told you I would talk about natural law a little bit. We talked about uh, uh, natural healing. We talked about uh, natural money, money that empowers the individual. And uh, uh, let me tell you about about natural law. Natural law is. Uh, the life force in the context of the law okay um, and uh, I, as, a, as an introduction I, I wanted to I'd like to tell you what uh, uh, Immanuel Kant uh, once said he was a, a German uh, philosopher Immanuel Kant or as we say down down south Immanuel Kant little joke come on give me a break Immanuel Kant said I am impressed by two things the starry sky above me 
I get it emotional sometimes when I, I read this stuff. I'm impressed by two things, the starry sky above me and the moral law within me. Now, each of us has a shared uh, moral compass. Uh, and this morality is our connection to the Creator. The Founding Fathers regarded politics as the, as the divine science. And our connection to natural law is our connection to the... Uh, I get flowery on this. It's the connection to the mind of God within each of us. Natural law is the morality the ethics, the conscience, the decency, the humanity, and the goodness within each one of us. Natural law is the mind and heart of God. And it is your mind too because you're a child of God and you're not separate from God. And you have all that he, she, or it, whatever you want to call the higher power, has. We have to evolve to get there, but we have that divine spark within us, which in time will become a, a blazing fire. And as Meister Eckhart, most of you don't know who Meister Eckhart is, or you may not, he was a um, medieval theologist, the theologian and philosopher. He said, pear seeds become pears. God seeds become God. Such is our destiny. And such is the power of natural law. Now, I've got about just a few minutes left. I want to make sure I covered everything. I wanted to give you a kind of a bird's eye view. Um... I know what I want to do. I want to continue with this decentralization theme. The Founding Fathers presented us with a decentralized system of government, of law, of politics. It was a decentralized island in the midst of centralized societies everywhere. There were monarchies. There were despots, tyrants, uh, and they wanted to set up a free society that empowered the individual, a de decentralized society. And uh, now, I've written a book called Legal Dynamite, Seven Explosive Secrets of American Law. And this is the deplorable's handbook on how to make America great again. And these, these seven laws are, were the pillars of decentralization. It's kind of a mixed metaphor there. These were the Founding Fathers' primary attempts to create a decentralized society. We've talked a little bit about sovereignty. If you have a society based on the sovereignty of the individual human being, you can't get any more decentralized than that. That's, that's decentralization. Now, part of the book deals with the, uh, the Second Amendment. 
And uh, let me get the wording of that right now. All right, here we go. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. We were meant to protect ourselves. It's good to have a lean central government that can maybe coordinate information, but look what a lousy job they're doing. The central government that we had, Department of Homeland Security, the Sarnayev, Sarnayev brothers, who were responsible for the Boston bombing, the Russians warned us about these guys. The Russians of all people. You know, our so-called enemies, and the Russians, why should they care about, you know, a couple of terrorists, unless they were really something else. Not only that, the Russians warned us again about them. But my point is that everybody recognizes that the power of this of a centralized government to protect us is has rapidly decreased with uh, the rise of terrorism. Perhaps a centralized government was was very useful when you had countries warring each other. Uh, it's hard to imagine a completely decentralized society during World War II. Uh, but war is largely um, obsolete. If China wages war against the United States, their econ economy will collapse because, they, if, because of the global economy. Uh, I may want to back off of that a couple of clicks, but... Um, Anyway, the Founding Fathers wanted America to be self-governing and self-defending. A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. They don't say the President is necessary or the Congress is necessary. Nowhere in the Constitution does it say anything other than a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of the free state. A right of a people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And they shall not be infringed because the militia consisted of the entire population. The entire population of the colonies was in the militia. And the militia was a part of the government. This was a completely decentralized way of dealing with your security. Uh, we talked about money, gold and silver coin. Uh, the Federal Reserve was a, um, um, a definite backsliding uh, on uh, on the uh, decentralized society that we had throughout most of the uh, 19th century. The Supreme Court is not supreme. And the Founding Fathers didn't re replace one king, that's King George III, with five more. Back then, there were only five uh, Supreme Court justices. Uh, the way we have it wired today is... The way we have it wired today is that the Supreme Court can um, neutralize any act 
by the president or by uh, the Congress, which is ludicrous. I'm reminded what uh, what uh, Andrew Jackson said when uh, John Marshall, back then the Supreme Court, uh, uh, the head justice said, uh, uh, Jackson said, now Mr. Marshall has rendered his opinion. Now let him enforce it. It was acknowledged among the three branches of government that one would not be superior to any other. And the, the weight that um, was given to Supreme Court decisions depended on what they were worth. It was incumbent upon every minister of government, every department of government, every official to know the Constitution for him or herself. Anyway, I see my time is, is just about up. And I um, want to thank you for the opportunity to, to, um, uh, to present a bird's eye view of what uh, this show is intended to, uh, to be, uh, to invite you to, um, to participate with me. And uh, I will be beginning uh, full time. Uh, on February 1st, five days a week from 4 p.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, um, I look forward to, uh, to working with you. Thank you very much.